if your Bibles this morning, Luke chapter 2, while the children are dismissed and they will go off to their, uh, learn on their level there in the back, we're going to Luke chapter 2. Here we are just a little over a week from Christmas. I hope that your plans are well underway and get to spend some time with your family. We get to visit our seventh grandchild. This uh, I have not met her yet, but uh, I'm excited about seeing her over Christmas and her parents too, I guess. I mean, it's, uh, you gotta, it's kind of a package deal. You've got to see them with her, but that's good too. But uh, what, It was Christmas dinner, and, and uh, they had, uh, the family had invited many guests over, and the table was full, and so mom asked when it came time to pray, the mother asked her four-year-old son, Johnny, why don't you say the prayer for dinner? And he was a little whiny, he's four years old, he said, I don't know what to say. And she said, well, you've heard mommy pray, just pray what mommy prays. And so he bows his head and says, Lord, why did I invite all these people over for Christmas dinner? <laughs> don't, don't laugh too much. That'll be how you're going to feel here in a few days, probably. When Julius I authorized December 25th to be celebrated as Jesus' birthday in A.D. 353, who would have ever thought it's become, it would become what it has today? We understand that Jesus probably wasn't born on December 25th, but, but we uh, celebrate it that day. When Charles Fallon lit the candles on the first official Christmas tree in America in 1832, who would have thought that decorations would have become what they've become today? It's been a long time since 1832 and 353 A.D., but even longer since that dark night in which Jesus was born. Yet here we are coming up to December 25th again, and it gives us yet another opportunity in the midst of all the excitement, the decorations, and the commercialization that Christmas has become to consider the event of Christmas and the person of Christmas that we really celebrate. I praise God for what Christmas represents. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator if our greatest need would have been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, and so God sent us a Savior. And I'm grateful for what we can celebrate during this time of this season. Luke chapter 2 Verse number 1, And it came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, and every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I want to preach today on no vacancies. No vacancies. Father, I pray you'd use this time and help us to be challenged and encouraged from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
a Sunday school was putting on a pageant, and uh, they were acting out the story of Christmas, and and uh, they uh, they did they did where they actually chose the actors and did tryouts and all that, and the pageant included the scene of when Mary and Joseph came to the inn, and one boy very much wanted to be Joseph, but somebody else was chosen, much to his disappointment, and he was actually cast as the innkeeper. So he was kind of upset about it, but he didn't say anything to the director. And finally, on the night of the performance, Mary and Joseph came walking across the stage, and they knocked on the door there, and the innkeeper opens the door and gruffly asks, What do you want? Joseph answered, We'd like to have a room for the night. This kid, playing the innkeeper, threw open the door and said, That's great! Come on in! I'll give you the best room in the house. The, the whole crowd hushed. Joseph and Mary froze, not sure what to do. And then Joseph, the boy playing Joseph, thought very quickly. He stuck his uh, head into the door past the innkeeper, takes a look around and says, I'm not putting my wife in a dump like this. Come on, Mary, let's go to the barn. And <laughs> right, just like that, the play was back on track. The scene that's portrayed in Luke 2, verse 7 is so familiar that it's unmistakable for us. We call it the creche. It's a representation of the birth of Christ, either with statues or in a painting or even uh, live nativity scenes that you can see. In the areas that our godless society still allows it, usually the setting is very serene. You have Mary and Joseph there watching Jesus sleep calmly in a clean a uh, sanitized feeding trough. Uh, sometimes there's a glowing light emanating from the baby Jesus. The straw is fresh. The stars twinkle overhead. There, nearby, you have these housebroken animals that are standing around and, and watching the baby Jesus as well. The faithful donkey looks on. There's always a donkey. And he's looking on there and watching the happy parents. Often the shepherds and the wise men are there kneeling in front of the baby Jesus. It's a warm scene, and when you look at it, you can almost imagine that it smells like a Christmas tree as you're sitting there looking at that scene. But this peaceful scene that we have come to be familiar with bears very little connection to what really happened in Bethlehem that night. The reality of that night has been airbrushed and sanitized for our consumption, uh, and it wasn't very peaceful at all. It certainly wasn't beautiful. It was a barn. The wise men didn't show up till about two years later. So there's some things that we have uh, wrong. But what really bothers us as we look at that, maybe, and we think about it, what bothers our justice system is that the very Son of God comes from heaven to earth, and He's born in a stable because there's no room for Him in the inn. We hear this so often that we take it for granted, but I'd like for you to consider that for a moment. That just doesn't seem right, does it? That the Creator, uh, the Lord Himself, sending His Son to come to earth and He has to be born in a barn. Now, to look at this today, I would like to consider the injustice, the purpose, and the application of this because from our point of view, we would not have written the script this way. We would have done it differently had we written this script. Uh, but I don't believe that it was an accident. So let's look, first of all, at the injustice. I think we can all agree Jesus doesn't belong here uh, where he's at. 
He's the Son of God from heaven. He deserves the very best the world has to offer. He does not deserve to get treated like some vagrant. He comes from heaven to earth, and he ends up in a stable. How can that be? Could God have done better? Could he have done it differently? Suppose you had all the power uh, to write this script and write how it should be happened that the Son of God is born. Would you choose to have him born in a stable, outside, among animals? doesn't make any sense to us. Why does it happen this way? Why was there no room in the inn? Why were there no vacancies? Uh, why was there no place for the Lord Jesus Christ in a, uh, or Mary and Joseph at that time, heavy with child? Now, in Jesus' day, Bethlehem was a small, out-of-the-way village. It was one of the least important, most, leastest, importantest uh, <laughs> towns in all of Judah. I was homeschooled. You have to give, you have to grade me on a curve, okay? That was, uh, in, uh, a few shepherds lived there, some farmers, a few merchants. That was about it. It was a very small Jewish village. It was really not important at all. The only thing it was really famous for is that it was the hometown of King David, Israel's greatest king. And so Caesar Augustus during this time, uh, ordered a census to be taken so that they would be able to get the maximum taxes from the Jewish people. And so uh, he ordered that all the men go back to their ancestral hometowns so that they could be registered for this census. And that's what brought Joseph back uh, to Bethlehem because he was descended from David, who was from Bethlehem. So the hand of God is in this whole business. Uh, ju- the journey of Mary to Bethlehem for the birth of her child, just where Micah 700 years earlier predicted that the Messiah would be born. And that's exactly what's happening. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Nothing just happens when God is in control. Amen? So God arranged everything so that the emperor that sat on the throne just at the right moment, just in the right way, made this decree so that at just at the right time, Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem so that they would be exactly where the prophet Micah said they would be in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It all just seems to happen. But often what seems by chance is actually God's hand moving to accomplish His purposes. If God ordains it, He will find a way. And God does the same things in our lives as well. Uh, we cite coincidence often. Oh, that's just a coincidence. But uh, sometimes these unexplained events or surprise endings and twists in our life, sometimes it's God working, and it's not always just a coincidence. Uh, sometimes things are too coincidental just to be a coincidence. Amen? And God's involved in it. Somebody said that coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. And uh, that's often true in our life. But just because we're taken by surprise does not mean that God is. He does allow sinful humans to make mistakes and reap the consequence of those mistakes. We understand that. Sin, there's consequences. But only a sovereign God could say that in the process of all this, He'll still make all things work together for good to them that love God. Isn't that exciting? That the things that happen to us on the end of the day, He's going to work it out and together for good. In ways known only to God, He takes our trials and our even mistakes and He weaves them together into a tapestry of great beauty all to fulfill His purposes. The Bible says they came to an inn. Part of our problem in understanding this story is the, un, our understanding of the word in. 
we're so immersed in American culture that when we read this text, we might read it with a visual in our mind, there was no room for them in the Bethlehem Holiday Inn or the greater Jerusalem area Hampton. There was no room for them there. Uh, it's a building right off the exits, three stories tall. It has a large lobby. And it has a pool and a hot tub. Cable TV to us, roughing it is what happens when the ice machine is broken and we have to live without it. So uh, this is not a representative of the word in in our uh, text today. In those days, travel was very dirty. It was very dangerous. It was very difficult. And creature comforts were hard to come by. And so travelers needed, above all, they needed safety and security from the robbers that were found all along the highway. We see one uh, in the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, the man that got taken by those robbers. This was a common occurrence for them. And so uh, in, the, the, in order to properly understand, it helps to know that Luke used two words in his gospel for the word in, I-N-N. Uh, one word refers to a small building dedicated to serving travelers. At one end of the building, you would tie up your donkey or your uh, animals that you're using, and then for a fee, uh, he allowed you to sleep in a rough mattress on the floor. Uh, he kept the fire going. He provided fodder for the animals. And uh, Jesus mentioned this inn, by the way, uh, in the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verse 34. Pandokaon is the original word for that. Now, when Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth, he uses a different word for in. Kataluma is that word, original word. Basically, it means a guest room. The word in would be even smaller and simpler than the one mentioned in Luke 10. The animals would be kept in a stable. Often that was a cave, one of the many caves in this area that uh, on a hillside there, protected uh, by a low rock to keep the animals in and others out. And so it was this type of in that had no vacancies for Mary and Joseph on that night in Bethlehem. They were full that night. They had no room. Again, from a human standpoint, this picture just doesn't look right because Jesus deserves so much better. And yet, this is what happened. And this leads us to the second question. What is the purpose? Why is there a purpose in the way that this went down? If we believe in the sovereignty of God, and I do, Many people, uh, or we must believe that God doesn't, didn't simply allow His Son to be born under these circumstances, but He ordained it that way. If God wanted it to happen a different way, then it would have happened a different way. But I want to back up just a little bit. Joseph and Mary, uh, they made, because of the census, they made their way to Bethlehem in the latter stages of her pregnancy. Now, again, many of us have been there uh, with heavily... When you're at the very end of your term, uh, carrying a child, that's a, an uncomfortable, it's uh, hard to, I, I, to, to find even a nice place to sit and imagine being on a donkey for 90 miles. Uh, that would have been so hard on Joseph. and Well, Mary too, for that matter. <laughs> but get myself in trouble before this day is out, I have a feeling. But it seems clear they arrived in Bethlehem just a few days before she would give birth to Jesus. And this journey would have been dangerous. It would have been difficult. It was 90 miles. It could have taken uh, at best three days, but could have taken more in her condition. They went through rocky, dangerous territory. When they arrived in Bethlehem, they were turned away at the inn. So in a rough 
cold cave attached to this little inn, the Son of God entered into human life. Oxen shook their shaggy heads. Animals looked on. The floor would be disgustingly foul because that's what it is in a stable. Uh, spider webs would be all around uh, hanging from the rafters or the uh, edges of the rock there. There would be no hot water, no sanitation, no midwife. In the nearby inn, just uh, probably within the sound uh, where they could hear, the guests that were paying there were probably asking for food or getting ready to turn in for the night. Why would the Son of God be born into a situation like this? Well, one reason, I believe, is because of His association. Jesus allowed Himself to be laid in that manger because He was identifying with those that He came to save. There are three great stages of man or uh, areas in men's lives that Jesus came to identify with. First of all, mankind's poverty. Jesus Christ knows about our needs. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that through His poverty ye might become rich. The poor and outcasts can identify with Jesus. He was one of them because of the way that he came into the world. In the eyes of the poor, royal robes do not excite in them any affection. But yet, a man of their own garb can, can uh, gain their confidence. Isaiah 53, 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The very manner of his birth, the fact that he was born in a stable, turned away from the inn, is an invitation to the rejected. It is an invitation to the abused, the mistreated, and the forgotten. They can identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. We might tremble to approach a throne, but nobody trembles to approach a manger. He was associated with our poverty. Secondly, not only our poverty, but he associated with mankind's problems. He knows about our struggles. By being laid in a manger, he proved himself a priest taken from among men, one who has suffered like his brethren. That's why the Bible says he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Uh, of him it was said, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Even as an infant, as he is laid in a manger, he is set forth as the sinner's friend. He's able to he understands the trials that we face. He's identified himself with us. Oh, I love that part of, I, I wanna, that's why Hebrews 4.15 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. I read the statement often as a young man, never judge a man until you walk a mile in his shoes. That way, you're a mile away and he has no shoes. And so then you can judge him, I guess. But, but uh, you're, you, you, the idea is that you want to enter into someone's life. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He walked where we walk. He's able to help us through our troubles and meet the needs of our lives. And what an incredible truth. So not only mankind's poverty and problems, but also uh, we see addressed here mankind's priorities. He detested worldly pomp and riches. One of the things that really, uh, in just conversations Brother Corey and I have had, one of the things that bothers him and other famous people is paparazzi, who are often hiding in the bushes ready to take pictures. 
Okay, maybe not of Brother Corey, but of famous people. And they're after, uh, they're always trying to sometimes get uh, uh, pictures that are uncomfortable to be seen. They don't want to see in public. Jesus possessed and deserved all the glories of heaven. Yet no paparazzi followed him. There was no announcement in the Jerusalem times. The Old Testament foretold him as a humble ruler. And we see this in the circumstances of his birth. Uh, born into a family with little means, put into a borrowed manger, Jesus Christ had no glory in his coming. He came to a world that was basically greedy and in love with wealth and the pursuit of wealth. And he came to teach us there is a better priority to live our life after than seeking after these things. That priority is the glory of the Father. Luke said this about Jesus in chapter 16, verse 15, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. That's a strong statement. What mankind puts a high esteem on is an abomination toward God. He was born in a humble manger to remind men that the greatest aspiration of the human soul is to seek the glory of God above everything else. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So there was an association in His being born in a manger. There's also an accessibility. Christ was born in this way to show His humiliation. Let me ask you this. Would it be suitable for a man who would die naked alone in the midst of criminals? to be clothed in purple at his birth. He was born in poverty, and he died uh, a peasant, a, pover- uh, a, uh, a, a criminal's death. And all his life, he wouldn't be that much more than a peasant. Nothing is more fitting than for Jesus to be born and laid in a manger because he laid aside all his glory, the Bible says, to take on the form of a servant. Imagine for a moment... Jesus had been born in Herod's palace with all the fineries and glory of that place. Imagine his bed had been a golden crib. Imagine him enjoying a life of abundance and plenty. Imagine him being separated from the common man by the walls of a palace. If that were the case, would you feel the liberty to come to him? Probably not. But he was born and laid in a manger. So he made himself accessible to everyone who would come to Him. In Luke chapter 2, we talked about the shepherds last week. The shepherds, these common, dirty men, felt at liberty to come to the stable and to see the baby in the manger. And they, they, this didn't scare them, and yet they were basically the rejects of society. And then in Matthew chapter 2, uh, it also talks about how the, uh, the, the wise men came, and they equally felt... Uh, in the right place, bowing down before Jesus. You could not have a greater contrast than these, these wise men, these kingmakers, essentially, uh, royalty, dignitaries, and greasy shepherds. And yet both of them were welcome to come to the manger and bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe one reason Jesus shunned the palace in uh, lieu of the sta- uh, stable is so that he would be accessible to all those that desired to come to Him. I thank God that whosoever will, the Bible says, may come and find all they ever need in Jesus. From the lowliest man to the most influential ruler, uh, all men have an invitation to come to Jesus. 
He says in John 6.37, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. In Revelation 22.17, And let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The Christmas story, as we spoke about a little bit last week, does not read like a hall of fame. It is about common people being used by God. And friend, God stands ready to receive you and use you as well. You may say, but I'm an outcast. So was Rahab. Or I'm the least in my family. So was David. You may say, everything in my life is falling apart. Yeah, talk to Joseph in the Old Testament and see what a mess his family was in. You might say, I don't have a good reputation. Neither did Jacob. His very name meant supplanter, cheat, schemer. He didn't have a good reputation. Or you might say, I'm not up to the job. Talk to Noah. He wasn't up to the job either, but he was faithful and he got it done. Uh, you might say, I'm old. Yeah, well, so was Abraham. And yet God used each and every one of these people in a great way. What I'm saying is that God in his wisdom has chosen to use little people, common people to, to do great things. When he looks at you, it's not about what you can't do. It's about what you can do. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 8, 12. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, not according to that which he hath not. That verse is telling us it's not about your resources. It's about your heart. That's what he wants. That's all he wants. God doesn't expect you to give what you don't have to give. When greatness is accomplished in your life, he wants you to point up anyway, not point at yourself and what you did. So it is in the Christmas story. God used nobodies. So they were turned away from the inn, resting now in a feeding trough. As a baby, Jesus was already carrying the cross of extreme poverty, contempt, and the indifference of mankind. God has come to the world in a most unlikely way. That's what it means in Philippians 2.7 where it says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Nothing about this baby appeared supernatural. There were, I know when we see cards um, that you see these glowing halos floating above uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus. That's, that wasn't there. Uh, this is just a Christmas card edition. There is nothing, there's no choirs singing, no angels visible. If you had been there, you would have concluded this is just another baby born to this down and out young couple. But it wasn't just another baby. When Mary laid Jesus in this manger in Bethlehem, she was the first mother in all of human history to give birth to a child with no sin nature. Think about that. You'd be hard-pressed to find a finer baby than little Matthew Pankinen. That little guy is a blessing. Been coming now faithfully his whole life. I don't think he's ever missed a Sunday ever since he's been born. And I haven't heard him cry. I don't think he cries. I think he's just good all the time. But uh, you know what? That little guy is a sinner. He is. He is rotten to the core. Uh, I'm talking about the fact of his condition, sinful condition. He's a sinner. It'll come out sooner or later, about age 13, 14, probably. You're going to have to deal with that. Uh, every child that's ever been born on this earth was born a sinner because of 
our sin nature. We don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It is a condition. All of us have been born sinners. And so, but this child did not, was not born with a sin nature. That's why it's so important that we realize he was born of a virgin. The Bible says that over and over and over. Whereby one man uh, sin entered into the world, and so death passed upon all men, for that all men have sinned. And so the the sin nature comes down through our with from our father. We all have a father. We all have a sin nature. Jesus did not have an earthly father. He had no sin nature. And so this is the first and only child whose parents, uh, they had a perfect child. That's something. I mean, that, my parents got close, uh, but they didn't quite get there. But they had a perfect child. What a blessing. Nothing about the outward circumstances pointed to God. Yet all of it was being planned by the Father before the foundations of the world, the Bible says. To the unseeing eye, nothing looks less like God than what's happening in this stable. And yet we know that God's fingerprints are all over this story. And this brings us to the application. In this simple Christmas story, there's some amazing truths. We learn that God uses adverse circumstances that make no sense at all to accomplish His purposes. The fact that there was no room in the inn seems like an insignificant detail to the larger picture. But I assure you, this was no small detail to Mary and Joseph. I mean, this would have been hard news to hear. What do you mean they don't have a room? This might have been the 10th place they checked. I don't know. Uh, but they, they obviously were in a place here. They had no place to go. And she's in labor. She's ready to give birth. They have no place to go. Oh, this must have been a terrible thing for them. Imagine a young man telling his wife, I'm sorry, I'm not able to get a room for us while she's in labor. It must have been devastating. But the good news is, honey, we can sleep in the barn. Uh, not good news to pass on to someone who's giving birth. It wouldn't have made sense at the time. Mary and Joseph, no matter how much faith they had, I wonder if they had the thought, maybe we were wrong. Maybe we were mistaken about what this is. And life is like that. We believe, and then when everything falls apart and our dreams are dashed, maybe I was mistaken. Maybe God isn't in this. But I can tell you, friend, that when it appears that circumstances are in control, He has a way of turning bad into better. He has a way of turning distresses into, de into development. He has a way of turning heartache into happiness and poverty into plenty. Just because life doesn't turn out the way you plan does not mean it's not turning out the way He planned. Just trust Him. How sad Christ came to earth to redeem sinners, and men responded by putting up a no-vacancy sign. And things haven't changed much in the intervening 2,000 years. All across this great country even, we put up signs that say, no vacancy. There is no room for Jesus in much of our society, in most of our schools, and in many of our homes. And saddest of all, in many people's lives. John chapter 1 verse 11 puts it plainly. He came to his own and his own received him not. Jesus came home to his own people and they put up a big sign, no vacancy. Isn't that something? They should have known better. 
They had been reading about it in the Old Testament. He's been foretold. They've been, they have a front row seat to understanding he's the fulfillment of all these things. Even astrologers from possibly Persia, the wise men came from, even as these astrologers, these pagans, they figured it out when they saw the star in Matthew chapter 2. But the rejection of Christ by his own people is a foreshadowing of things to come. The world that had no room for him then has no room for him now. No vacancy. We learned that his humiliation started early within his uh, events of his birth, but it continued to the very end. He was born outside because they wouldn't let Joseph and Mary come inside. Later he told his disciples, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Matthew 8.20 He owned nothing but the clothes on his back when he was crucified, and they even gambled for those. When he died, they buried him in a borrowed tomb. Our Savior's birth pictures the whole course of his life. He was born outside the inn. He died outside the walls of Jerusalem. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. And today he stands outside the door, knocking, according to Revelation 3, wanting to come in. Jesus is outside the church in Laodicea there in Revelation 3, pleading for these individuals to let him in. In that context, this verse is not so much talking about salvation, but it is about Jesus wanting his rightful place in a materialistic church. He's standing out knocking, waiting to be invited in. And if any man open, I'll come in with him. I'll sup with him. The question for you this Christmas, is there room in your heart for him? Have you made room in your home for Jesus? When it comes to Jesus, the world has put up a no vacancy sign. They don't want to have anything to do with him. But will you make room for him? That's what's important. Will you, when he comes to his own, as it says in the Bible, will you receive him? Uh, to, I began this, uh, when I began talking, I gave you the illustration about the boy that played the innkeeper in that pageant. And he swung open the door. Later, after the play, to the frustrated director, he said, I just couldn't send Jesus away. I had to make place for him. I mean, it's Jesus. I had to make room for him. That night, there was no room for Jesus. But I'm asking you, will you make room for him? Will you make him part of your festivities this year as you celebrate? Will you pause between uh, bouts of stuffing your face with all the Christmas delicacies that we make? That wonderful, the Christmas treats uh, and the cookies and the, uh, all the things that are made. But will you pause and take a moment to be thankful and be grateful that God sent His Son and what it really means? We understand as the song we sang earlier that He was born to die. That's why He came. He came for the express purpose to be our sacrifice uh, or the sacrifice on our behalf on the cross to pay for our sins that we could not pay for. And here's the good news for the worst of sinners. Though the whole world may turn you away, He will not. He will accept you. And if He comes into your heart and your life, He'll never leave you. Years ago, in a little inn, and the answer to a knock on the door, they put out a no vacancy sign. I'm asking in your life, in your family, in your home, don't put up, don't put up that sign. Invite him in today. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.
Maybe you're here today, friend, and you don't know. You don't know for sure if you're a Christian. You don't know for sure. Let me put the question this way. Do you know that if something happened to you today on your way home, do you know that you know you'd be in heaven? Do you know that? Do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you invited Him into your heart and life? If not, you can settle that today. The Bible says that when one sinner repents, heaven rejoices. What a blessing that is. Or how about you, dear Christian? You know you're a Christian, you know one of God's, and yet uh, many times Jesus, instead of being in, in our lives and in our homes, supping with us, sometimes He's outside the door, He's knocking, and He's trying to uh, gain entrance. Will you take down the no vacancy sign today? As she begins to play, would you stand along with me, heads bowed, eyes closed? If